0: The new Super Beats Hard Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeats, dot com and save 15% with promo code DEAL.
1: The Post Reports podcast is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. At T. Rowe Price, we examine opportunities firsthand to help uncover the full story for our clients' investments. Put our strategic investing approach to work for you from the newsroom of The Washington Post. Washington Post, this is Colby. Yeah, yeah, Hi, it's Stephanie McCruman from The Washington Post. This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Thursday, December 27th. Today, how Trump's tweets are shaking up the economy. What happens when you pay Jewish families to live in southeast Alabama? And why Tom Cruise wants you to adjust your television? Heather Long, economics correspondent here at The Post. You're in our studio, and we're talking about the stock market. And just to set things up, I want to show you my phone. Because I have all of these alerts just from like the past three days.
2: Yeah, it sort of sounds and feels like the, like a horror film a bit. at least in the last few days. An
1: hour ago, U.S. markets stumble after big Wednesday rebound, And then yesterday, it was Dow surges more than 1,000 points, its biggest point gain in history. And then Christmas Eve, markets stage one of the worst Christmas Eves ever. What exactly is going on? Because it seems like the stock market is going insane.
2: December has certainly been a brutal month for stocks. There's no doubt about it. Like you, I look at my phone and open up my 401k, and I tremble a little bit. Like, uh, and I, I look at the stuff every day and know that I just need to take a deep breath, do some yoga, and ignore it. And that's the best thing I can do with my money. Essentially, what's going on here is we've just experienced what's probably going to be the longest bull market of our lifetime. So the longest upswing in stocks uh, that many of us will live through. You know, a. T- in your gain. And what's going on is investors are looking around and they're starting to say, when's it going to drop? You know, when are th- when's the economy going to go into a recession? And so basically in the last few weeks, investors in, on Wall Street have been looking around for any signs of cracks in the economy and, and in the market. And they're starting to see a lot of them.
1: What kinds of cracks are they seeing?
2: The biggest cracks that are happening uh, that people are seeing is... Um, The President Trump's trade war just isn't going away, and that is starting to really impact particularly small and medium-sized businesses. We're also seeing the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates, which makes it harder to borrow money. Basically, for the last several years, we've had so many things that have functioned like training wheels to help the economy keep going. We've had super low interest rates. We just had this massive tax cut, which was like giving a kid a lollipop, that sugar high. All of that just kept lifting everything up, despite the political chaos and the tweets and the blah, blah. And now those training wheels are coming off. So it doesn't mean the bike rider is going to fall over immediately. But people are definitely nervous. You know, those wheels are off.
1: Political chaos is starting to catch up a little bit.
2: That's right. And it's always been there. It's not like President Trump didn't tweet, you know, before December 1st. (laughs) when we really started to see a lot of the more advanced and aggressive selling. But from an economic and financial context, what the president with the news that came out in the last week is different than what we've heard before.
0: They're raising interest rates too fast. That's my opinion.
3: But Uh, I certainly have confidence, but I think it'll straighten. They're raising interest rates too fast because they think the economy is so good.
2: He's complained about a lot of people. But to actually talk about firing the Federal Reserve chair is a totally different level of scary.
1: So we've reported that President Trump has been talking about whether he would, in fact, be able to fire the Federal Reserve chair, basically because he's unhappy that they have been raising interest rates. What does that tell people?
2: The countries that think about doing something like this are generally third world dictatorships. And when they fire the head of their central bank or forcibly try to remove them or replace them or get more control over the central bank, the market tanks and then the economy also struggles in those countries. Why? Because having a central bank that is independent of politics is really fundamental to people having trust that the banking system is going to operate appropriately and that if there is a crisis, like what we saw in 2008, 2009, that the central bank is going to, again, make decisions that are independent of politics. and You know, if President Trump were just to tweet, you're fired, Jerome Powell, goodbye. (laughs) Nobody knows what would happen. We have no precedent for that. The law is unclear, a little bit unclear if President Trump can remove Powell from the chairmanship. He can't remove him entirely from being on the governing board of the Federal Reserve. But he could potentially, you know, just tweet. And then what happens? We're in this chaos period where we have removed and destroyed sort of the underpinning of our of our economic and financial system for the past several decades and that's a very scary place to be and that's why you saw a big reaction in the markets
1: it's interesting because it sounds like what you're saying is that one of the best ways to support the economy and the health of the economy and long-term growth is to remove politics. But it seems like what President Trump is trying to do is to get politics hyper-involved in the economy and that he's sort of defining his own success by his ability to affect the stock market and affect the Federal Reserve and, and that, that those things are really counter to each other.
2: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I will say a number of the top White House aides have come out this week and tried to say, no, 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 no plans to fire the Fed chair, not going to happen. But, you know, we all know how this works in this White House. Who hasn't made that comment? The president.
1: So should the average American
2: be worried about this? The key question, if you know if you're the a normal person listening to this and you don't follow every every tweet or every you know sneeze of the stock market is to ask yourself are we going into a recession because that's going to impact everybody on main street that's when we start to see job losses that's when we start to see uh, salaries cut And at the moment, it's really hard to read because you have the stock market that's almost pricing in a recession. That doesn't mean tomorrow, but within, say, the next year or two, and that's really alarming. But then on the other hand, you look at the data and things look very good right now. 2018 is probably the best year for this economy, certainly in a decade. We have this incredibly low unemployment, lowest since 1969. We have growth, the best growth this year, probably about 3% GDP. We haven't seen that since 2006. We finally have wages going up at a pretty good clip above inflation. And so you sit here and say, wait a minute, that doesn't reconcile with what I'm seeing in the stock market. And part of the reason the stock market rallied on Wednesday. Wednesday and the day after Christmas was because Amazon came out and said they're having best sales ever. Then MasterCard, which tracks all those spending and the holidays and you know, minute by minute, they said this is the best for retail sales in six years. So you're sitting there saying, you know, people are still confident. They're still going. When I go out, I still see a lot of people in restaurants. I was in a physical store yesterday and there were a lot of people there. That doesn't feel like we're on the verge of a recession. But you worry that if people keep looking at the stock market and keep seeing that sea of red, do they begin in the coming months to close their wallets and not do as much spending? Do they sort of, it's almost like its own downward spiral. And that's what people are worried about right now.
1: Thank you so much, Heather.
2: Thank you.
0: Dothan?
3: Dothan. Sorry, how do you spell it?
0: D-O-T-H-A-N. Okay. They told me while I was there that it actually is named for a verse in the Bible in the story of Joseph (gasps) Mm -hmm. that actually says, like, go to Dothan. (laughs) That is not why they're there. Um, My friend Julie
1: Zosmer is a reporter here at The Post who covers religion. And
0: I immediately was hooked on this story.
1: She's been working on a story that started with an online ad, an ad with a very strange proposition. It basically said, hey, if you are Jewish, we will pay you up to $50,000 to move to Dothan,
0: Alabama. And so I got one of these ads in my Facebook feed about 1 a.m. on a Friday night. And I thought, someone wants me to move to Alabama. I wonder
1: why. Specifically, they wanted her to move to Dothan, Population 65,000, about two-thirds white, one-third black, and extremely Christian, just like the whole state of Alabama.
0: All the Jews, all the Buddhists, all the Hindus, all the Muslims in Alabama make up less than 1%. The ad that Julie saw was part of a project started by this guy, Larry
1: Bloomberg, a lifelong Dothan resident and also a millionaire. He owns many, many hotels. And Larry Bloomberg, who is Jewish, he'd
0: watched the congregation at his home synagogue grow smaller and smaller. And he wanted his synagogue to not fold the way that a lot of synagogues have. And he thought, what can I do? He thought I can pay people to move here. In 2009, he announced that he'd
1: put up a million dollars, up to $50,000 for each of 20 Jewish families who'd commit to living in his
0: town for five years. It was everywhere. It was The AP wrote about it. It was on the Howard Stern show. People were very excited about this crazy idea. They got so many applications at first. They're, they really? were flooded with applications. After a lot of vetting, they brought in a first round
1: of 11 families with the plan that they'd soon recruit more. Now, years later, Julie wanted to know how it's been working out for those people who've moved there. So she went to Dothan. And she talked to Larry Bloomberg. He says that he's still optimistic that this whole experiment is going to work. But the fact is that there have been some challenges.
0: So they gradually brought in 11 families. And at this point, seven of those 11 have left. It did not work out for them. Why didn't it work out? Different reasons in different cases. Um, A lot of it does have to do with employment. People who couldn't find work or couldn't find good enough work. Um, People who have been dissatisfied with the schools, people who have just left for the normal reasons you move for a new opportunity, and also because it's really hard to be Jewish in Dothan. In fact, that's why Julie ended up seeing that Facebook ad in the first place. They're aggressively
1: trying to recruit more Jewish people to replace all the families who've left. And those that remain, they make up a very small but very tight-knit group— people who are really committed to building a thriving Jewish community in the South and also educating other people in Southeast Alabama about Jewish life. But, as I
0: told Julie, it's been difficult in ways that they didn't quite anticipate. I'm writing about Lisa and Kenny, who are a couple who moved in 2011 to Dothan, and their big question now is whether they should leave.
3: Did you show that picture up there yet? Oh, no, I didn't. I forgot to show you that. I told you about the oh, picture. Oh, that's the picture of the bimah. Yeah, go get it.
0: Can take a look at... Lisa and Kenny are the type of people that I think anyone who's ever belonged to a religious congregation probably would recognize. There's that couple who's always there, who's just doing everything. At their congregation they came from in upstate New York, they were part of a 500-family synagogue. And we
3: had bar mitzvahs and weddings up there and... We have one here since we've been here. Right, right. No, a couple. Kenny
0: was the facility manager and Lisa was a cantorial soloist up there on the Bima leading prayers. They were the go-to people. And the minute Lisa saw this advertisement in a Jewish magazine saying, move to Dothan, she said she immediately ran to Kenny and said, we're doing this. He was excited about the idea of building up Jewish life in the South. He felt like he could really contribute to forming a vibrant synagogue community? And he said yes, and they went. They wanted to sort of build up something from scratch. Right. They, I think they knew it would be hard. They didn't know how much it would wear them down, I think, to try to do that.
3: Um, at points, I thought I thought I had to get out of adults. And I do care about the people in the community, but... It is, a, it is a really nice place to live, I think. And last night, when I when I left the synagogue, I was on this high. I was okay. We were not you know, we're doing all we can to to make Temple Emmanuel the best it can be for who we are. And I'm thoroughly convicted to do that. But it's been hard for you. Yeah, it is a it's a adjustment. Um, I went with her to her
0: office in the hospital. And we're walking down these rows of cubicles. And somebody had a little poster printed out that had two soldiers in armor with the words in all caps, spiritual warfare. Uh, She really has just had to get accustomed to this being everywhere around her. And she was surprised by that? I think so. I think she's been surprised at the lack of knowledge of Judaism and the lack of understanding. Like she had a coworker who would ask her why don't you need the day off for Christmas and she'd say i i don't celebrate christmas and she'd say but it's jesus's birthday um, and so so lisa really tries hard to explain and she's a teacher at heart and it's very frustrating to her when people don't learn like the coworker who at a luncheon that was actually in lisa's honor this coworker stood up and gave a prayer in jesus name and and that was very frustrating to her and you i mean you struggled with fitting in here. hmm
3: Yeah. It was nice. when I think when I worked at the hospital full-time, mm-hmm. because I didn't have family here, but I had friends. My office was my family.
0: Even though your office was also where a lot of the uncomfortable mm-hmm. moments have happened.
3: Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about, like, the goodness in people. And, in fact, that's partly why I feel different about wanting to go back. A lot of Southern family... God first, family second, and everything else after that. And in a in a much stronger way than I had experienced prior to coming here.
0: I think I think a lot of the families, almost all of the families, other than Lisa and Kenny, are a lot more hesitant to say that they've experienced anti semitism. They also are in some ways more isolated from it. Some people have jobs where they're not interacting day to day with a wide variety of neighbors in the same way that Lisa and Kenny, who work in healthcare, are working with patients every day. And that's where they've experienced a lot of this. Like, Kenny had a patient who said she wouldn't eat hamburgers that she thought Jews were making with baby's blood. Kenny had a, a patient when he was doing home health care who he was hired to work in her home, and as he's leaving one day, she asked him where he went to church, and he explained that he goes to Temple Emmanuel. And she called him that night and said, "I won't be needing any anymore." And sounds like right now you're both you're both leaning toward go. Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: but I'm not. I I have waffled on this so much yeah. that I don't want I don't want to drive Kenny crazier than I already do. I I just said to her. I'm gonna step back, and when you know, you let me know, because I I think I'm ready to go back. Tom.
1: Why do you Why do you think this story is interesting?
0: I I mean, initially, I was really drawn simply to the wackiness of the premise that someone could pay Jews to move to Alabama. It just seemed it seemed like a punchline, and then I got there, and it wasn't funny. Um, And it's also something, there's more concern about anti-Semitism than there's been in this country in a long, long time. For Jews in big East Coast cities, it's easy to not think about the day-to-day experience of anti-Semitism and to gasp when we hear about the patient in the hospital saying these shocking things that sound like they come out of nowhere. And it's important to realize that these are beliefs that people have in a whole lot of places across the country. I
1: think the thing that I find really compelling about this story is that I think that we spend a lot of time talking about how interpersonal relations are the key to to empathy and to getting along and to understanding each other and that as a society and as a country that, like, we need to be spending more time with people who are different from us. And I think that it's sometimes easy to forget that, like, that takes a toll, especially to be some form of other in a community where you don't see a lot of yourself and where people don't really understand your perspectives.
0: Like, that's a difficult life to live. These are people trying to put themselves in those situations where they can one-on-one interpersonally, day in and day out, teach their neighbors and learn from their neighbors. But sometimes for all your willingness to do that, you can't just will it into existence. Um, Karen and Terrence, who are one of the couples who moved to Dothan, hosted a Hanukkah party and invited about 50 people and wanted their non-Jewish neighbors to come to the party. And they would teach them. Terence collects menorahs. He has 25 different menorahs that are all really cool. He was going to teach them about Hanukkah. And 12 people showed up. And they were all Jewish or partners of Jews. The non-Jewish neighbors didn't come. They didn't want that engagement to learn in that way on that night. So what did Lisa and Kenny decide? Do we want to give it away? Yeah. Cuz it's the end of the story. Like the whole story is sort of building up toward what are they going to choose? I
1: mean, I, I want to get- I feel like we should
0: make people read it.
1: No, this is the whole story is in the podcast. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. So as they lit the Hanukkah candles together and they sat there looking at the candles in the dark, they finally came to a moment after all this wrestling back and forth. Should we stay? Should we go? Should we stay? Should we go? That was the moment that they looked at each other and they said, "Okay, I'm ready to leave." And they're they're planning to move back to New York.
1: Julie Zosmer writes about religion for The Post. We've got a link to her full story, including photos of Lisa and Kenny Prittle, along with the backstory of Larry Bloomberg's million-dollar recruitment program over at WashingtonPost.com slash PostReports. And now, one more thing. If you got a new HDTV for Christmas and are planning to watch a big screen movie like Mission Impossible Fallout, Hollywood has a mission for you.
3: Hi, I'm Tom Cruise. Obviously. <laughs> and I'm Chris McQuarrie,
2: obviously.
1: They want you to adjust your television set. Because of something called video interpolation.
2: Video interpolation, or motion smoothing, is a digital effect on most high-definition televisions and is intended to reduce motion blur in sporting events and other high-definition programs.
1: Turns out that it's great for sports, but not so great for movies shot on film.
3: The unfortunate side effect is that it makes most movies look like they were shot on
1: high-speed video rather than film. Hence the term soap opera effect. Most HDTVs come with this feature already on by default. And turning it off is not easy. Turning it off requires navigating a set of menus with interpolation often referred to by another brand name. Depending on your TV, the pre-installed setting could be called true motion or action smoothing or motion interpolation. But one thing is certain, they all blur what's on the screen. Tom Cruise says that the movie industry is working on a long-term fix.
3: Filmmakers are working with manufacturers to change the way video interpolation is activated on your television giving you easier access and greater choice over when to use this feature. Meanwhile, a quick internet search should provide you with
2: step-by-step instructions on how to quickly disable the feature so that you can enjoy the movie you're about to see exactly as the filmmakers intended. So your mission, should you choose to accept
1: it, is to figure out how to turn that setting off. That's it for today's Post Reports. If you've been listening to the show, we'd love to hear from you. Tweet with the hashtag #PostReports, And we're always grateful if you can leave a review on your podcast app. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. The Post Reports podcast is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. At T. Rowe Price, we examine opportunities firsthand to help uncover the full story for our clients' investments. Put our strategic investing approach to work for you.